0: Hi, and welcome to Berlin Side Out, a new podcast looking at international politics from Berlin, with me, Benjamin Tallis. And me,
1: Aaron Gash-Burnett. Join us for an expert look at how Germany sees the world and the world sees Germany.
0: Hello, and welcome to this special bonus edition of Berlin Side Out the podcast that takes an expert look at international politics from Berlin. We're delighted today to be joined by Anna Vero-Wendland, who's been one of the most prominent voices in Germany's ongoing and fiery debate about nuclear power. As you will have gathered from our previous discussions related to this topic, this is both an emotive and deep issue in German politics and strategic positioning. So we're happy today to be joined by one of Germany's leading voices on the topic. I'm Benjamin Tallis, Senior Research Fellow here at the German Council on Foreign Relations. And I'm Erin Gash-Burnett, a journalist
1: specializing in German politics. Now, listeners, as Ben said, opening the show, you've probably already gotten a sense of how charged the nuclear debate is in Germany and from our other guests this week, and how much controversy there's been as to what role it should play in Germany's energy transition. And Vera Venland is with us now to push this question a bit further. Uh, she is the author of a book called Atomkraft, ja bitte, or Nuclear Power, Yes, Please. That is a play on the nuclear power, no thank you stickers that people in Germany, Germany's anti-nuclear movement have a history of sporting. Uh, Now let's start with your recent book. Uh, You talk about how nuclear power can save us from both a climate crisis and an energy crisis. Why did you feel the need to write it and make the argument, especially now?
2: Yes. um, Why did I feel the need? First of all, of course, uh, the book was written under the impression of the uh, German climate debate and the general question, how to take climate action, but not destroying our industrial society. So it is, you know, it is an interface problem. You have to provide for cheap, abundant, uh, affordable electric energy in order to um, to feed our industry by decent prices on the one hand, but it has to be low carbon. And this is the grand dilemma of German energy strategy, because uh, as you perhaps know, our emission targets are not met. We are, have a relatively high emission rate um, in our electricity generation. And so this is the, the main problem. And the nuclear exit in Germany is, of course, related to that problem. Because um, since 2000, since the year when uh, the uh, energy tra- transition, the Energiewende was initiated by a then Social Democrat and Green government, we lost about 21 gigawatts of Um, installed capacity of nuclear power. This was low carbon power and it was reliable power. And and we uh, then set on a path to replace nuclear by renewables. But in Germany, the special problem is that German renewables as a rule are volatile renewables and no for example hydro or geothermic uh, renewables which provide for um, firm power so the main problem in Germany is if the weather conditions or the day if it's in the night or if it's winter time we have constant problems um, of el- electricity supply if we do not use a backup and the backup of course is not any more nuclear but it's uh, fossil uh, especially it's lignite and in Germany, and that is a very dirty source of um, electricity generation. This is our main problem. So I began with this um, problem, and I proposed um, that in this situation it would be good to delay or even to cancel the nuclear phase out, then we had still um, six nuclear power plants online. We could have saved them. The social democrat liberal green coalition could have saved them because this was during their um, being in office uh, when these nuclear plants were shut down. And this was the core proposition. So stop the phase out. And at least return to grid or leave on the grid, leave in operation these six uh, nuclear power plants, but at the same time begin to discuss whether the whole concept of German Energiewende is a correct concept or whether we should revise it and reconceptualize it and to rely on renewables plus nuclear instead of renewables plus fossil. As a matter of fact, this is the core point of my book.
1: And I wanted to ask a little bit about how your book was received or how you experienced it being received. Um, One thing I think is interesting to point out, at least among uh, the German public, is that around the time that the shutdown eventually, the final shutdown um, was announced, as you said, the current government could have uh, uh, stopped the final shutdown and didn't chose not to. Yet at the time, around 41% of Germans in one poll actually were in favor of constructing new nuclear power facilities, which is a poll that certainly surprised me and surprised us. And even um, more than that, uh, actually were in favor of, at the very least, keeping nuclear power, existing nuclear power online for a little bit longer, to the point where we actually had more than 50% of Germans in one poll saying, "Yeah, okay, let's let's at least go with nuclear power for the moment." Um, that certainly surprised us. Do you think German thinking and reflection about energy has changed, um, especially since you've released this book? What's your experience been?
2: I would say yes, reflection has has changed. But interestingly enough, it has changed in the broad population. So in a way, the popular classes are going ahead of the elites. You know, it is a, a very interesting thing because, as a rule, discourses are going the other way around. It's elites uh, framing discourses and then people are following. But uh, here it seems to me that is the other way around. So my book came into a situation. Um, this, uh, Of course, it was written under the impression of the climate crisis. So I still did not focus on an energy crunch which is related to a war. But you need to know, I am at the same time, I'm a specialist in Ukraine, in Ukrainian studies. And my most recent book, by the way, is on Ukraine. I always had a focus on the problem that our fossil backup of renewables is relying on Gazprom. This was always uh, an issue. And interestingly enough, it was an issue with the Greens as well. It was the German Greens, as a matter of fact, the only party who were constantly emphasizing that this is not good for our economy. Economy to be so dependent on gas but this was never discussed in the broad political body. It was an opposition position. So, um, and with the war in Ukraine and the full-scale invasion of Russia in Ukraine, which coincided uh, with the re- uh, release of my book, of course, this aspect came. To the fourth, climate crisis of course was a discussion, but now even another discussion came up. This is, are we too reliant from suppliers, which are no dictators and uh, which are a threat for our national security. So uh, in combination, this book of course was uh, uh, at the right time, but since the nuclear debate in Germany is so polarized, it's a long, long history, you mentioned that, I got very strong, of course, reactions from, from the left and green uh, side because they considered my book as a threat because I am arguing from the leftist point of view. I'm no um, right-wing author, and this was very irritating for them because as a rule, we know who is pro-nuclear in Germany. It's conservatives, they have a nuclear program, Greens and Social Democrats are staunchly opposed to nuclear. And now comes Veronika Wendland, a leftist, and says, okay, I have been an anti-nuclear activist in my youth, <laughs> and now I am uh, getting on the opposite side. And what I did not yet mention, I do that um, on the basis of my own scholarly research, because I did uh, re- years of field studies in Nuclear power plants, uh, in order to research on man-machine relationships in nuclear uh, and nuclear safety, and so um, it is not from the hollow, you know. I am arguing uh, for nuclear because uh, it's it's really on the basis of uh, a broad own experience with that technology, and this was so irritating for these climate action left and green um, uh, uh, pub, uh, publics in Germany that I had very very uh, aggressive reactions as well. I was, for example, denounced as a right winger and so on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is something I found so interesting about your work and your public positioning on this, because it really does challenge this ideological entrenchment, this almost theological attachment that some parts of German elites in particular, and activist movements have to the anti-nuclear position, which they then associate all With the points that you've raised there but you make such an interesting combination between understanding the geopolitical implications of energy here for one thing which is something more germans have come to realize in the last two years but also putting it in terms of a pro-growth perspective and as you said to feed an industrial society that again that confuses a lot of people as well i think so it's that combination that we also found particularly interesting
2: it's basically the eco-modernist position which is more common to the British and American um, discussion. There the eco-modernist position is a Really, already uh, worked out position. There's even institutes, uh, a research institute, which which very uh, which argue in this in this in this direction. In Germany, it is entirely new because our ecologism, you know, our green movement is basically conservative. It is it's an old style green, so it is more tending towards degrowth uh, than to a concept of growth, which is com Compatible with uh, nature conservation, for example. So, this of course was challenging as well. There comes an eco modernist. We even do not know ex- precisely what is this, and it is uh, threatening and challenging. And so, this I think this reaction was connected to how to rethink our economy system. But um, this is in Germany still at the very very initial phase, at the very beginning. And I think this is typical um, reaction. If you have a paradigm shift from uh, old-style thinking patterns the people are used to to new patterns people have still to get adjusted to.
0: It seems like such a fresh entry into the debate, though, because exactly this this notion that you can be green and you can have a better and brighter future that doesn't mean less, but can actually mean more. As you said, the eco-modernist position, that's surely the kind of thing that can appeal to people a little bit more than saying, make all these sacrifices, bear the costs, and the future is going to be worse anyway.
2: Mm. Yes.
0: So this, this, I think, is where it holds such, such potential. And it, it points to the fact that um, what, what Aaron mentioned a second ago, a lot of Germans are actually in favor of this among the public. And this this is not an isolated case. We've seen public opinion running ahead of elite leadership We've on seen weapons for Ukraine, yeah. on um, the overall attitude to the Titan vendor and Germany shifting its geopolitical positioning. And so it seems again that there's a missed opportunity for leadership here. But also perhaps is that to do with the fact that the too many German elites are really attached to that world of yesterday, to the old ways of doing things. They have a very vested interest in it. Would you say that's that's a problem?
2: we have a very complex uh, problem because when this government in Germany came to office, they thought, and and, uh, even the electorate perceived them as something new. You know, there there was this, you know... um, This uh, spirit of now really uh, doing climate action uh, policy, whereas in the Merkel years, it was only lip service, you know. And now, after all these war events, of course, we could uh, think, oh, this was the last peace summer, and people then perceived the climate crisis as the only crisis we have to tackle with. And it was perceived as, of course, it's a very complex crisis and a very grave crisis. We can take action together and we have to go new ways. So at the very beginning, this government really tried to convey this new start or new Begin, a restart of good climate action government. And then I think they missed Many opportunities when the war came and the crisis came, the energy crisis came, they missed a grand opportunity with this uh, with this nuclear exit uh, policy because if they would have. Preserve these nuclear capacities, especially the Greens would have demonstrated, okay, we challenge a lot of your, of your, the, the citizens of your usual lives because we demand that you change very much in your everyday life and your work patterns, how you heat your houses and how you, how you travel, how you, um, uh, how you get your mobility organized and so on. But, We demonstrate that we are ready to shift our habits as well. And we will get over our old affiliation to this anti-nuclear ideology. And if they would have done that, they would have earned much credibility, I think, in the public. They would have said, okay, we demand something from you, the citizens, but we are giving something. So we as well, we will be renouncing from old habits and the old habit of the Green Party is being anti-nuclear. You know? But they missed this opportunity, which, by the way, would have earned them loads of uh, CO2 reduction uh, potential. This is, I think, the, the principal point. They had a, grand, uh, a great effort with this uh, new heating legislation, which as a result gives us much less CO2 reduction, then a stop of the nuclear phase out would have uh, been doing. This is of course contradictionary. This is in a way double standard, and of course the people notice that it, this is double standard. You know, if we leave away uh, saving six nuclear power plants, which can in one single year uh, they can reduce so much CO2, which all the whole GEG, so this heating legislation can earn you in ten years. So of course people begin to doubt whether this is a good policy. And I think precisely this has happened. And it's a pity because our climate action strategy is, of course, very bad that now every action is discredited in a way because it is so double standard.
0: Yeah, this this is it. I mean, the public aren't daft. They see what's going on. They can read this very clearly. And when it's so obviously, as you say, a party interest, you mentioned, I think, very well that this could have earned the Greens a huge amount of popular support. It would have been very difficult in their party, though. And it was very clearly putting party ahead of national interest at that time, which all the parties have done in their own way. But that was such a clear example of it there that it really makes the point. And this unwillingness to lead by example... As you said, is such a strong point too.
2: I do not want to bash Harbeck and his government because he did something like that, but he did it into the fossil direction, as a matter of fact. So he said, "Okay, I will." Uh, we have now to um, to make concessions in every in order to save our economy. So let's take lignite power plants, which are already phased out, let them take back to the grid, and uh, let's organize liquefied gas terminals and so on. This was of Of course, for the Greens, it was no uh, obvious policy, not what I would have expected from Green politicians, but they did it. But as an interesting point, uh, although they before had um, an election campaign, which was based only on climate action, when they made concessions, they made them only towards the fossil side and uh, only, for heaven's sake, not to touch this nuclear issue. And uh, I think this was a bad mistake.
0: Let me bring up one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because this, what you mentioned that filling the gap that was left by nuclear, that wasn't filled by renewables, we know that in the interim, it was partly also filled by Russian fossil fuels, Russian gas in particular. And this, this got Germany into a lot of trouble in domestically, but also with its allies, because this is the true geopolitical cost of that energy vendor was actually um, increasing dependency on Russia and exposing others to that risk too, not only entrenching the autocrat in Moscow, entrenching Vladimir Putin and enriching him at the same time in his regime, but actually putting all of Europe in a less secure position, not least of all Ukraine, of course. And it seems to me that, again, that's something that the German public has realised, that there's a geopolitical dimension to the energy debate. But politicians here see still seem to be pushing it through in their own Sonderweg. They're still willing to lecture uh, France about nuclear power. Manuela Schwesig is willing to talk against Poland's nuclear program, six nuclear reactors planned by 2043. How can we persuade Germany to actually work as more of a team player on energy internationally? And what, what would that mean for Central Eastern Europe?
2: Yes, this is an um, interesting question because on the EU level, of course, um, as a rule, the German argument is every nation ha- has its own national energy strategy and so uh, everyone has to decide on his or her own and this is the mode of understanding with france okay you go nuclear we go renewable and we don't mess into uh, the business uh, of the of the of the other but de facto they do mess uh, with it you know with poland it is obvious that berlin tries to pressure on poland although they know very well in berlin that of course they will not prevent the poland from building these nuclear power plants. So I do not know why they are then, uh, um, uh, because they are destroying very much on the symbolic level if they are constantly going anti-nuclear against Poland. The Poles, um, they of course, they perceive that as a, more hostile act. And I do not know which is the the motivation. I think it is, in a way, uh, a law of political inertia. You know, these uh, social democrats and greens, they simply do not know how to reconceptualize a climate action strategy, including nuclear, or at least accepting the neighbors' nuclear, or even taking part in it. For example, it would be possible, um, as the Germans in in the 17s, build uh, so-called Gemeinschaftskernkraftwerke, so common nuclear power plants, which were financed by several energy companies, by small and larger ones. In principle, we could have such a project with the Poles or the French. If we would go um, to a more nuclear-friendly strategy, uh, although we would decide not to build new power plants in germany there could be a solution the social democrats and greens um, are not used to th- uh, to rethink their own position on nuclear and that nuclear of the 70s is not the same nuclear as now there are now reactor concepts now progress and safety. Even after Fukushima, the industry has learned loads of lessons um, uh, again. So um, it is not the same situation as it was in uh, when Chernobyl happened in 1986, or as it was in 2011 when Fukushima happened. So there could be a basis for reconceptualizing our position on nuclear, but they are simply blocking it. I think it is like something which is uh, uh, so crucial for the social identity of groups of social Democrats, but uh, of the Greens as a party, that they simply do not want to touch upon it because they think if we touch upon that, everything breaks down, which uh, uh, still remains from our grand uh, party history. Why the social Democrats are so anti-nuclear, simply spoken, it it is a um, a really phenomenon because if you look on labor in in Britain or on even the, the Biden Democrats, they are not so tremendous Euphoric on nuclear, but they are uh, not against nuclear because they accept that it is a can be part of a climate action strategy. It is not normal for a social democrat to be anti-nuclear. It is a special German Sonderweg phenomenon, I think. <laughs> so, um, I would I would like to discuss it with the SPD, but uh, they have for a long time, in a way, copy pasted the energy strategy of the Greens, and there was only one oppositionary caucus within uh, the Social Democrats and these were these Schröder Gazprom Social Democrats. But they could arrange with the anti-nuclear program because they could every time forward the Gazprom as a a solution, as a partner for the German energy transition. And so there was an arrangement between these uh, strategies and the Social Democrat Party and now it broke down. The Gazprom branch uh, is now silent and and, uh, not existent anymore and the green branch of course is now setting the policy and and mr i think mr scholz uh, does not have any st- energy uh, concept he's simply following some people in his party who write the concepts and uh, these people are um, very, very close to, to the green concepts, and so we are seeing what we are seeing, you know. There is still no readiness uh, to really make a break with, uh, with the old manner of thinking on energy, I think.
1: Well, another, uh, how shall we put this? Another uh, um, section of the party that doesn't seem to know how to pick its battles or pick strange battles. No, that's
0: right. And also that betrays the notion of a Titan vendor. I mean, all the things you've been saying now I find so interesting, exactly is the unwillingness to change inherited wisdom, inherited thinking, the notion that we are right and that's what we must remain because it's a deep part of our identity. That speaks so much, doesn't it, Aaron, to the wider Titan vendor debate?
2: Not only to bash the Social Democrats and the Greens, because a very interesting aspect is, um that even the FDP, which were constantly opposing against these Green and Social Democrat uh, positions in the last time, an inside opposition within our government, and even the uh, Christian Democrats, they now verbally put the nuclear thing on the agenda. But the interesting thing is, they even they do not have a real good nuclear concept. If you are really, really asking them, do you have a plan? Do you have a roadmap in order to reinstall nuclear in, in Germany? They, of course, don't. And why don't they? Because, in a way, they are listening to uh, these voices from the population. They see that now the the polls are pro-nuclear or shifting towards a more pro-nuclear situation. But they still fear to have a decidedly pro-nuclear position because in Germany it is still a convention that nuclear is... In a way, bad. And uh, the best sign to see how a convention works or a standard works is the cost to breach it, you know. And even Mr. Merz and his Christian Democrats, they are fearing to put forward a decidedly pro-nuclear agenda because they uh, are afraid that they could be name-called, that they are uh, putting the population into danger and there will be so much nuclear waste and it is so terribly dangerous and there will be great accidents and so on. We know all these, you know, discussions in Germany and they are still afraid of really um, taking a concise and stable position towards this. And so I think this is in a way representative uh, for the situation in in germany and you see that even if this hegemonial anti nuclear discourse now is already challenged it is still very strong you can't speak about nuclear without a preambula about how how dangerous it is you know we have to do loads of work to uh, to change uh, this
1: well, it's it's definitely not um, unusual in German politics to have uh, certain positions that seem almost impossible to change or dislodge, despite changing public perceptions or anything
0: else. Um, changing like, geopolitical situation. Yeah, right? I mean it's clear the needs of the country and the world are different.
1: Yeah, well, in this particular case, I find it interesting because I'm, I I wonder sometimes if if German politicians necessarily understand how bad this actually looks, like especially to Germany's allies. You know how how weird this debate. It looks from the outside, it certainly looks that way to us.
2: One newspaper in the States named it the dumbest energy policy ever seen in the world or something. Wall Street Journal, I I, I think. So, so this is really, it is already an uh, an issue for our image, you know, because the Germans on the one side, they already, they have this, you know, this, this messianism, you know, Uh, that, uh, that this energy transition is a pattern or model for other industrial societies. But as a matter of fact, no other industrial society of our level will be going this, this path. And uh, so that should really make our leaders thinking about it. What if all this energy transition can only work because our neighbors do not follow this model, you know, because they, uh, they will give us, uh, where they will, they will import, uh, export, uh, electric energy for us, you know, so.
1: And yet what I find interesting as well, when it comes to especially French nuclear power, is how often I will see German elites, whether they be columnists or um, academics, uh, bash uh, France and almost uh, hold this kind of interesting idea of we are a climate leader in Germany. We are this, that seems to be a very entrenched almost belief, almost social belief, despite the fact that um, you can you confront them with the numbers which clearly show um, the difference in emissions, for example, between France and Germany. And Germany is not coming out on the winning end there, and yet they still do it.
2: Our emissions are in an in average fivefold higher than the, uh, the French... Uh, Yet,
0: none, nonetheless, <laughs> let us brand ourselves as climate leaders regardless. Yeah. This, this is what strikes us as like the idea of Germany having a very moral foreign policy while indeed dealing with the devil uh, in, in Putin. And this, that, that lack of... self-realization or self-reflexivity there to understand again how that looks abroad we think is causing an awful lot of problems for german leadership because for leader to lead you have to also be followed and there have to be people who are willing to follow you and if the model in itself is unattractive and the way it's sold is unattractive and there's no willingness to take one for the team on behalf of any of the politicians concerned then leadership seems a long way off really
2: we do not have to um to underestimate that in these nuclear controversies uh, with Poland or with France, it is simply my perception as a historian. We see how um, via this nuclear controversy, very, very ancient controversies are reenacted. But uh, for example, look at the the German discourse on France and uh, its problems with nuclear in the last summer. And I th- something I thought oh this that's the very old discourse on uh, of Germans against the Welsh the the unreliable and the filthy and not very neat uh, French or Italians and how badly they ma- are managing their technology and how really good we are in doing all this you know it reminded me very old um, discourses of Germans against France and uh, with Poland it's even you know it's even more recent, you, you have these German discourses on polnische Wirtschaft, on the unreliable uh, Poles who cannot really uh, run an economy. And so these old prejudices, it's of course a big, uh, it is in a way a threat for our relationship to our neighbors. The German public has even not yet uh, realized that uh, there is... Um, certain behavior patterns in communicating with France and with Poland, which emerge of course in times of crisis and in times of controversy. I do not yet know the results of the recent German uh, French meeting in Hamburg where I only heard from that the French side is now uh, in comparison to the Merkel years, is now on the position we do not accept anymore this uh, this uh, uh, German finger pointing and this uh, constant German teaching on how we should run our energy economy, you know. And uh, it's the first time uh, after years of relative uh, French calm with this discussion that the French say uh, eventually we are doing now our thing with the nuclear and please do not constantly question it. Uh, we consider it at the best as the best way to decarbonize in this industrial society and you have still to prove that your model is really functional.
0: Yeah, indeed. German lecturing on energy policy goes down about as well as a fishbrochen in Hamburg uh, from the sign of the photos we saw from Macron's visit the other day. I do want to come back
1: to this whole um, sort of almost social identity uh, that seems to be running our energy policy (laughs) rather than data sometimes. Um, And I'd like to ask you how we actually break out of that in Germany. Um, Is there a way that we can actually get out of this line of thinking uh, and actually move forward with um, an actual <laughs> sustainable energy policy that is geopolitically and climate aware
2: yes of course in in a way the podcast we are now having here together is a is a, is a good example because it's an example that now such propositions as i uh, um, propose are now coming into the generally politically accepted discourse. Say five years ago, when I first began to write my blogs on nuclear energy, it was really a taboo. You had no chance to publish something like that, for example, in Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. Before, I had some articles in Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, the largest um, German newspaper, very very good reputation. But uh, the interesting thing is... um, they accepted my articles on, on Eastern Europe and on Ukraine. And then came the day when I said, you guys, I would write a critical article on the German energy vendor as a, as I think, failed concept. They said, never touch the energy vendor. No chance. It is settled. No one wants to discuss it anymore. Do not touch the nuclear exit. It's done. It's over. It's through. And they proposed me, OK, you can write a piece on Eastern Europe. On how they perceive the German energy vendor, but not on Germany, you know. And this uh, uh, this has changed, you know. Uh, Now it changed. Approximately in 2020, when I wrote together with a nuclear scientist, I, we, we wrote a memorandum, and uh, it really made its way into decide. zeit. And this was a sensation then, because uh, and really, it really triggered a large debate, and of course it tri- triggered loads of uh, aggressions against us. But it uh, it made its way into this uh, into this newspaper, and this, that was new. So I think from 2020 onwards. It began to uh, change, and the new thing was that it is now not only Tichy's Einblick or Axe des Guten, so the right-wing um, platforms which are discussing nuclear, but even the TATS, the green newspaper Tuts, does it. You know? And even I could publish an article there. That this was it, was it was something very new for me, and so I, I think. We see now it is uh, what what Germans say, Paradigmenwechsel. Unfortunately, the problem is that um, these nuclear installations, which are going to be destroyed, they cannot wait. Discourses. Change very slowly. But these installations are currently um, actually destroyed, and it's installations which were in an excellent state. Uh, They are good examples of really good technology, and um, we could save them, but the time is simply running out. I am a bit afraid that the war will be won in the discourse but not uh, uh, on the uh, on the field because uh, not on the ground because uh in order to save these uh, at least these six german nuclear power plants we would need uh immediate action uh, in 2011 after fukushima we had no broad tech uh, discussion with with technical experts whether it is it's favorable whether it is desirable whether these inst- uh, nuclear um, power plants in germany um, are even uh, uh, whether the accident sequence in Fukushima is even applicable to the nuclear power plants in Germany. We had no discussion at all. They were simply switched off and taken off the grid and the rest had its face out uh, to, uh, until 22.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, it was used as that trigger, as that precipitant, in order to confirm an already ideologically entrenched and consensus position. That was clear from, from Fukushima. And again, the reaction on the, the UK green side was very different. People like George Monbiot, for example, saying, look, this actually should Shows that the safety of nuclear power plants. Totally different reaction here, but just the last comment.
2: To be honest, I was really uh, shocked, positively shocked by Monbiot. That he, I wouldn't even have put it like, because I, I, as an historian of technology, I wouldn't even have gone so far. For me, uh, Monbiot was a very strong trigger to get on this issue and to, uh, to and to speak up.
0: Interesting. Yes. So that. That shows the, the value of the internationally connecting these issues. And again, which is what we hope to do here on, on Berlin Side Out as well. And thinking the unthinkable is part of the Titan Vendor discussion. Breaking through taboos and slaughtering sacred cows is should be part of the uh, Titan Vendor discussion. So thank you so much to uh, Anna-Veronica Wendland for that strident defense of nuclear power. And also it's certainly a welcome counterpoint to a lot of the territory which the German debate normally covers, but one that actually connects it a bit more strongly to international debates on these topics. So we'll be interested to see going forward whether Germany can remain an outlier in this regard, or whether it uh, comes more back into the nuclear mainstream, although that would take quite some considerable effort. Yes, indeed.
1: And thank you very much for joining us this week. That's all uh, for this episode of Berlin Side Out. But please do come back uh, over the next few weeks. We will be talking about exactly this sort of thing again in the national security premium and geoeconomics, uh, as well as strategy uh, for site and venda.
0: That's right. How you bring it all together, how you bring together discussions on energy policy, climate policy with economic considerations, technological change considerations, and nuclear power is a prime one for, for that. And how you put all of that in the geopolitical framework is also what really interests us here on Berlin Side Out. So join us for that and for the reports back from the Prague and Berlin conferences, which we're very excited to be putting together on just that topic. Auf Wiedersehen.